0: the Lord, our healer, as we continue our six-week study on the names of God. Uh, We can turn to page 21 and hold the page as we look at the setting that we're going to be uh, looking at today in our study. The Israelites had known nothing but slavery for centuries. But that changed when Yahweh, one true God, sent his spokesman Moses to the Egyptian Pharaoh, demanding that the Israelites be released from their captivity. As God displayed his might and mercy, both in the Israelites' exodus from Egypt and their time of wandering in the wilderness, he called the Israelites into covenant relationship with himself. A relationship demanding both trust in and obedience to Yahweh. Let's look at the first question we have. First question. When have you admired a renovation project? Welcome Paul. Thank you. What happened? No class today? (laughs) That many people? Bad weather? Yeah, we were talking about (laughs) that combination. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bad weather and time change? Can't beat that combination. Okay, when have you admired a renovation project? Anybody? Project that you've seen? Uh, and you've seen how they've done it, and uh, you just admire the way they did it. Anybody?
1: We are winding down the uh, complete renovations project at the 12th right now. Okay. Um, a, a restaurant that they used to call 77 West. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now called just fish. Um, very unique. For
0: about four Can everybody buck in? No. Pardon me. You speak up a little louder. <laughs> <laughs> they can't hear you in the back.
2: <laughs> well, um,
1: I am I am personally admiring a project that we as a company have been working on for the past four to five months in the pole at Atlantis. It's called it used to be called 77 Degrees West. And it's not all just FISH, it will be officially open the second week of April Mm -hmm. this year. And it's a major transformation of what was there. The whole entire restaurant was covered, Uh, brand new equipment throughout. Very unique, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, challenging, very challenging. But I am admiring that project right now. Mm. Because I've never done, in all of my years of work as an interior architect designer person, I've never done too many restaurants. This is the first major restaurant that I've been engaged in.
0: Okay. Good. Anybody else? Court, uh, <laughs> They're
3: renovating and they're changing all the windows and everything and that's nice because it's an old, old building. Mm-hmm. So it's nice it's there, you know, government is actually trying to keep it up and restore it back to how it was before and not just leaving it like all the other government buildings that you see okay. right now.
0: Great. Nice. Alright. Anyone else? Renovate a project you admired. I, I, I look at I'm amazed at the the fusion superplex that's going up on the corner of Gladstone Road and Highway. It's amazing, you know, the way they, they they building that place. And I, I just wondered as they went up, I kept wondering how high are they going to go? Because they they? they they just keep going up higher and higher and higher. And it's, it's it's a massive project. I mean, I could never imagine something like that sitting on top of that hill, you know. So that's that's the one that I um admiring right now.
3: How high is it
0: supposed to be? Gee. Um, the, the screen, I, I think the the IMAX screen is supposed to be five stories high. Oh wow! That's just the IMAX screen, wow. right? So of course the building's got to be much higher than that. Right. Very interesting is that project.
3: An individual, I mean, is that or is that a government?
0: No, it's private. It's private. It's
3: private.
0: Yeah. No. I think it says four Bahamian investors. Um. It's a $42 million project. Ooh. Wow. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Where is that? It's on Gladstone Road and, and the highway. Off from of of Lakeview to Cemetery. Off, right across oh, right <laughs> from Lakeview. Right across <about laughs> from Lakeview. Um,
2: <laughs> Gravesite.
0: Site. It's it's the cemetery. View, eh? <laughs> yeah, <I> can't <laughs> hmm? You can't miss
1: it.
0: No, you can't miss it. <laughs> you definitely can't miss it. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's look at Bible Meets Life. Okay, someone want to read that?
4: Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea. Right there? No, Bible. Okay, right. I have the wrong page. Hmm. Works of art like Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, and The Last Supper are universally recognized as great masterpieces, but most people don't realize the images we admire are quite different from what Da Vinci first painted. Mona Lisa has darkened over time because of the varnishes used on it. Original fine details are now obscured. The Last Supper has deteriorated due to mildew. Early on, well-meaning painters attempted to clean it and repaint sections the process, they covered up Da Vinci's actual work. Restoration is needed when we, return, when we want to return to the artist's original design. When left to themselves, objects like art, houses, and old cars lose their luster and even fall apart. And so do we. When left to ourselves, we drift from God's original plan and design for our lives. We take our eyes off Him. We often complain about him while forgetting all he has done for us. In short, we need restoration and healing. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites lost their focus, yet God showed himself to be the God who restores.
0: He is the Lord, our healer. Okay, and so what would be our point for today? What's the point of our lesson today?
1: God is the
2: only one who can restore us and make us whole.
0: Okay, all right, what God gives us, God gives us an assurance that he can bring, uh, he and he alone can bring healing and restoration to our lives. Uh, So as we look at um, the passages today that we have before us, we want to keep that thought in mind. God is the only one who can restore us. He is the one that heals. You know, we've got a lot of sick people among us. And uh, we have been praying for them, and it's good to keep in mind uh, that He is the one, the only one, that can provide that healing and restoration. And when we pray for healing, we ought to also pray that God would not only heal individuals but restore them to the normalcy of their lives. Many times, people get get healing and they still struggle with complications. But we need to be mindful that God is the one who not only heals but restores. Okay, let's look at the first passage we have. Exodus chapter 14, 29 to 31.
2: When the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground, the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. But Israel saw the great powers that the Lord used against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and believed in him, and in his servant Moses.
0: Okay, that brings us to question number two, before we look at some comments on that word, those verses. When have you learned about God from a first-hand what? experience? What? What have you learned about God from a first-hand experience? Anybody?
1: He is good. He is large. faithful.
2: Okay. Amen. Uh-huh. And he he works all things for our good. But we are not recognizing. I hope God will bring us to the place that we recognize whatever we're going through. We can say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I know
1: you're waking up for my good Amen. and glory. Okay. God can well. Mankind here on earth could see how God can change the life of individuals from, from a life that they once lived to a new life um, mm-hmm. that is um, guided by
3: Him. He keeps His promises.
0: He keeps His promises, okay? Have you ever had an experience where uh, something has happened and... Uh, you look at it and say, wow, only God could do that. (laughs) Amazement. Only, only God. I'm sure we've all had experiences like that. You know, it stops you in your tracks. Uh, A couple of uh, thoughts on those verses. Uh, Verse 29, God worked powerfully on behalf of the Israelites in delivering them from slavery in Egypt. After he freed, Uh, the Israelites, God led them around in the wilderness toward the Red Sea, according to Exodus 13 18. But Pharaoh changed his mind about allowing the Israelites to go free and set out in pursuit of the Israelites with his army, according to 14, 5 through 9. When the Israelites saw the Egyptian army was overtaking them on the shore of the Red Sea, they panicked, wouldn't you? You'd panic too, right? I mean, <laughs> he, let, he let us go, right? And we are going on our merry way because all those plagues, God had hardened his heart through all those plagues and he finally came to the point where, I can't take this anymore. Y'all, go, 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 serve your God. Do whatever you want to do. And then they left. You leave. And then all of a sudden you see dust behind you. And you realize that it's Pharaoh at the head of the pack in his chariot coming. Would you panic too?
1: Yep.
0: Of course, the obvious reaction would be to attack the leader, right? And that's what happened, did not it? But the verse says, verse 10, they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord rather than remembering and taking confidence in the fact that God who had won their freedom through inflicting the ten plagues upon the Egyptians was with them. The Israelites saw only the large, well-armed force of Egyptians and chariots closing in on them. Although they cried out to the Lord, they quickly turned on the Lord's chosen representative, Moses. Moses was now in trouble. See that verses 10, uh, 11, and 12. Moses responded by telling the Israelites, Fear not. Remember this favorite verse? Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. That should have been company shouldn't it? Yeah, it should have been company right? Whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. God told Moses to stretch out the staff in his hand over the red sea. When Moses obeyed the waters parted and all the Israelites walked through and now this this is what I like. They walked through on dry ground. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah. What? Okay. I mean this was this is the ocean, right? <laughs> this is the ocean. God parted God didn't don't you like how God just goes the extra mile? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't just part the Red Sea and then to slop through the muck and the mire and But there was a miracle in that too. The Israelites, what God specifically says here, they walked on dry ground through the sea. Between two walls of water, to the other side of the sea. When the Egyptians came after them, God told Moses to stretch his hand out over the sea. Again, after Moses obeyed, the waters came back again, the entire Egyptian army drowned. If you read the verse, the actual account, you'll find that the chariots' wheel broke off because by the time the Egyptians got to walk through The ground was muck and mire and mud again. It wasn't the dry ground that the the Israelites had walked through. So we see we miss that miracle a lot, don't we? We wonder how Pharaoh's army succumbed like they did. But God did a miracle there. The miracle was not just the parting of the Red Sea. The miracle was what God did with the ground of the Red Sea. What he did for the children of Israel and what he did against Pharaoh and his armies. Moses had encouraged the Israelites to trust in the Lord for their salvation from the Egyptians and God delivered them. And that's the experience that many of us have had, we've seen how God delivers and you just stand back with your mouth dropped open in all and, awe and say, wow, only God, only God could do that. The verse says, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, again, Okay, at daybreak, the, 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 at daybreak, as the Israelites looked back toward the sea, they saw the waters had returned to the seabed, and then the Egyptians were dead on the seashore. Piles of Egyptians mounted on the seashore, all dead. Interesting how God works, doesn't it? Okay, let's look at the verses beneath the verse that we just read.
2: The parting of the Red Sea was an incredible miracle, that sea of God's rescue for his people from their slavery into. Not surprisingly, that event holds a prime position as a symbol of God's salvation in the Old Testament. Isaiah later wrote, was it you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the sea bed into a road for the redeemed to pass over? And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sigh will flee.
0: See Isaiah 51, 10 and 11. Go ahead, you just read it, You just read the verse.
2: The Israelites had seen a clear demonstration of God's great power. As a result, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. When they reached the other shore, the Israelites sang a song of celebration. Praising God, praise deliverance. Exodus fifteen one
0: to eighteen. Yeah, let's look at those verses. Uh Moses' song. Someone out that can read it. Okay, I'll read it. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. <laughs> He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength, and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army, he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O oh Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O oh Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greater greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like, a, like straw. At the blast of your breath, the waters piled up. Surging waters stood straight like a wall. In the heart of the sea, the deep waters became hard. The enemy boasted. I will chase them and catch up with them. I will plunder them and consume them. I will flash my sword, my powerful hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? You raised. Your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. People's and tremble, anguish grips. Those who live in Felicia, the leaders of Edom are terrified. The nobles of Moab tremble. All who live in Canaan melt away terror and dread fall upon them. The power of your arm makes them lifeless as stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you purchase pass by. You bring them in and plant them on your mountain, the place, O Lord, you reserve for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. And then finally, verse 18, the Lord will reign forever And ever.
2: The song not only celebrated their present victory over Pharaoh, it also looked forward to their victorious Congress and settlement of the Promised Land. As we'll see, however, those songs didn't last very long. In fact, the Israelites' rejoicing turned quickly to grumbling when they were confronted with the reality of their freedom from Egypt. What was true of the Israelites is often true of us today. Indeed, we often find that this testing of our faith will follow moments of spiritual victory. The question is whether we can still sing of God's glorious holiness, even when we face moments of spiritual growth.
0: Okay couple of highlights uh, from that passage that we need to keep in mind. Uh, uh, Three of them. First one, the parting of the Red Sea was an incredible miracle that sealed God's rescue of his people from their slavery in Egypt. Not surprisingly, that event holds a prime position as a symbol of God's salvation in the Old Testament. And we we mentioned the incredible nature of that miracle already in terms of the children Israel walking through on dry ground and then the Egyptians coming through and the ground wasn't so dry anymore. The second point is the Israelites had seen a clear demonstration of God's great power. As a result, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. But then we know that didn't last too long, Right. But it's a point to keep in mind. When they reached the other, uh, when they reached the other shore, the Israelites sang a song of celebration, praising God for His deliverance. And then the third point we want to keep in mind is what was true of the Israelites is often true of us today. Indeed, we often find that a testing of our faith will follow moments of spiritual victory. So whenever we go through those times and we have those spiritual victories and we jump up and down and rejoice. Beware. The enemy doesn't like that. And he's, the, he's like Trump. He's going to hit back. <laughs> Trump don't take last. You know, in school, we used to say, I don't take last? Trump don't take last. The enemy is just like that. He's going to strike back. He doesn't like those victories. The question is whether we can still sing of God's glorious holiness even when we face moments of spiritual drought. So that is a cautionary beware when we go through those times of victory. The next verses demonstrate that when we complain, we are focused, this is a caution here, when we complain, we are focusing on the problem, not on God. So let's look at that next passage we have, Exodus 15, 22 to 24. Go and read that.
3: Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea and they, and they went out to the wilderness of Sir. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Mara, but they could not drink the water by Mara because it was bitter. That is why it's called Mara. people grumbled to Moses, What are we going to drink? Only a few days into the journey, the people of Israel began to grumble and complain, frustrated by the lack of water. When the Israelites saw Mara in the distance, they thought it was an oasis and likely believed that problems were solved. But their hope was dashed to pieces when they discovered the wells contained bitter, non-potable water. Many artisan wells are bitter and unpleasant because of the mineral salts. This one was not simply this one was not simply unpleasant. It may have been dangerous to their health. The Israelites responded the way we typically do, mm. and when things don't go our way, they complained. What? They demanded of Moses what are we going to drink? How quickly a hero can become a scapegoat. Mm. <laughs> While their grumbling was aimed explicitly at Moses, it was implicitly directed at God who had appointed Moses as their leader. Moses made this connection clear when Israel grumbled later about the lack of food. He has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the law at Exodus 16 and eight. Um, Sadly, God's people are described as complaining over 12 times during the wilderness wanderings. The Apostle Paul used the grumbling nature of the Israelites to warn believers in Corinth about such behavior, along with craving evil things, idolatry, immorality, and more. See 1 Corinthians 10 6, 11.
0: Let's look at those verses because uh, it's important for us to take note of those, what he's saying here, what Paul is saying. Um, anyone have that? Can read it?
2: things happen as a warning to us, so that we we would not crave or crave evil things, as they did, or worship idols, as some of them did, as the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan robbery. And we must not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did. Go ahead. About 11. verse 11. As some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then die from safe valleys. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them, as examples for us, they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the
0: age. Okay, so we have some warnings. Okay, we have some examples. Verse 11 says, These things happened to them as examples for who? For us. Uh-huh. For us. They were written down. We only write things down when they're important, right? Uh-huh. So that those who are behind can go back and read it. So they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Okay, continue reading there.
3: We tend to treat grumbling, griping, and complaining as minor issues, hardly worthy of mention, since everyone does it. Yet Paul treated grumbling as a major offense and insisted it must be avoided. Next page. The Israelites thirst caused them to forget the deliverance they had I had recently enjoyed by the power of God. The contrast is striking between the faith they expressed in praise after crossing the Red Sea and the lack of faith when they encountered a challenge just three days into their journey. The matter was one of perspective. Could Israel trust God to work in every circumstance based on his character? It's possible to grumble inwardly without verbalizing it. When we allow struggles and doubts to cause us to blame God for our circumstances, we're falling into the same pattern of behavior as the like still with wilderness. When we allow anxiety to rule our lives, we're focusing on circumstances rather than on God's provision.
0: Okay, and the question is how often we do that. Question number three. How does complaining impact our connection with God? It's
3: like a disconnect, isn't it? Okay, yeah, well, it is it's a disconnect. Distracted from mm-hmm. you focusing on God because you're dwelling on your situation. Mm-hmm.
0: When we complain, which characteristics of God are we calling into question really? Hmm? His power. His power, right? We're saying that, yeah, you don't have the power to really deal with my situation. What else do we call in the question?
1: His love.
0: His love? You don't really love me. If you love me, you'd really, you know, you wouldn't let me go what through I? this. You would change <laughs> my situation. Okay, what else?
3: No, I, I said, no, I guess the same.
0: Okay, so his power, his love, what else do we call in the question? His faithfulness. His faithfulness we know that God has proven his faithfulness throughout the journeys of the, of the children of Israel. whatever they wanted. And we just read it. What he did for them. He always proved himself faithful. They could never accuse God of being unfaithful in any way, shape or form. And okay. so we, we call into question all these things. What else? Again, also, it shows us our unbelief. Mm-hmm. Okay, our lack of belief. That's right. Okay, and that calls into question his trust, right? Yes. We don't trust him.
3: And in your
0: faith
3: is good too, because you a see
0: and maiden blah. Okay, and he's proven himself mm-hmm. in so many ways. Okay, let's look at uh, some main points here um, from that passage. Only a few days into the journey, the people of Israel began to grumble and complain, frustrated by the lack of water. They totally forgot about God's faithfulness and the That's provisions that he had provided before. And then the second point, when Israelites saw Mara in the distance, they thought it was an oasis and likely believed their problems were solved, but their hope was dashed to pieces when they discovered the wells contained bitter or non-vulnerable water, water they couldn't drink. And then they demanded of Moses, what shall we drink? How quickly a hero became a scapegoat. Okay, the man who had delivered them and brought them through all of this. Now they're ganging up on him, like we say. All right? And then the fourth point, the final point here is, while their grumbling was aimed explicitly at Moses, it was implicitly directed at God, who had appointed Moses as their leader. Moses made this connection clear when he, when Israel grumbled later at the, about the lack of food. The Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumbled against him. What are we? He said, your grumbling is not against us, but against God. And they didn't, they were so upset and angry that they didn't realize that they were actually pointing their arrows of disgust at God and not Moses. Okay, the next verses uh, show us how God responds and restores uh, when we call on Him. Okay, Exodus 15, 25 to 27.
3: Everybody? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it into when he threw it into the water the water became drinkable. The Lord made a statue and ordinance for them at Mara, and he tested them there. He said, "If you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commandments, command and keep all of his statutes. I will not inflict any illness on you that I have inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elma where, where there was 12 springs and 70 date palms, and they camped there by the water. God once again provided for the Israelites in a miraculous way showing that he's not only powerful to deliver his people, but can and will sustain them. In addition, God made a statue and ordinance for them. This statue contained a condition, if you will carefully obey, which was followed by a promise, I will not inflict. The Old Testament contained numerous examples of if-then covenants, they demonstrated that God's blessing flowed through the obedience of his children.
0: Next page, yeah.
3: In this case, God's promise was related specifically to the illness that had been inflicted on the Israelites. Surely the Israelites would have connected God's turning of the Nile to blood. See Exodus seven fourteen to 25.
0: Okay, let's look at that verse, those verses. Exodus,
3: 7, 14. Uh,
0: that's the first plague that's, uh, in Egypt, the water turned to blood. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn, and he still refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he goes down to the river, stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. Then announced to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you. Let my people go, so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with this star in my hand, and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and rise and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt. All its rivers, canals, ponds, and all the reservoirs. Then turn, turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood. Even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. So Moses and Aaron did as just as the Lord had commanded them. As Pharaoh and all his his officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile. Suddenly, the whole river turned to blood. Fish in the river died. The water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. But again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic, and they too turned water into blood. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted Pharaoh turned his palace, returned to his palace, and put the whole thing out of his mind. Then all the Egyptians dug along the river bank to find drinking water, for they couldn't drink the water from the Nile. And finally, seven days passed from the time the Lord struck the Nile. Okay, continue. Surely
3: the Israelites would have connected God's turning of the Nile to blood with the undrinkable water at Mara. If Israel would carefully obey the Lord, they would not find the water God provided to be bitter because he is the Lord who heals you. This is the name Jehovah Rapha. The word Rapha occurs about 60 times in the Old Testament. It always refers to restoring healing or curing. It's it's frequently used in relation to the physical healing. But it also can relate to moral and spiritual healing. At Mara, Jehovah revealed himself to be the only source of true wholeness. He alone was, has the power to change the bitter experiences of life into something sweet. God mercifully sustained the people at Mara, but there's more to the story. God led them from Mara to Elam. Elam. Where there, were, where, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm, day palms. They camped there by the water. The numbers 7 and 12 and multiples of these numbers appear throughout scripture representing completeness. Elam Il- was a place of completeness, a refuge that pointed to the abundance and healing provision of Jehovah Rapha. We should never overlook the most important way Jehovah Rapha heals through Jesus Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. 1 Peter 2.24 God promises healing for your deepest pains, your disappointments, your past, and your sins. He can turn your bitterness into sweet refreshment. If you've been sidetracked at Mara, bitter in soul and spirit, the only way to travel from Mara to Elam is to turn to Jehovah Rapha. Jesus is our Jehovah Rapha, our God who heals.
0: Okay, Jesus is our Jehovah Rapha. Our God who heals. Uh, question number 5. How can our actions and attitudes demonstrate that we follow the God who heals and restores? How can our actions and our attitudes?
2: When we focus on God, we have a different attitude. Inspire
0: have a calmness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Exercising faith in God. Exercising faith in God. Consistently. Consistently. Okay, uh, a recap on those thoughts uh, mentioned. Once God provided, God once again provided the Israelites in a miraculous way. Uh, He provided for them in a miraculous way, showing that he's not only a powerful to deliver his people, but can stand, but can and will sustain them. He is the God who provides. Remember we looked at that last week? Jehovah Jireh. God mercifully sustained the people of Marah. But there's more to the story. God led them from Marah to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees. They encamped there by the water. And the point for us is, we should never overlook the most important way Jehovah Rapha heals. And that is who? How? through Jesus Christ. God promises healing for our deepest pains and disappointments, the past and our sins. Okay, let's look at how we can flesh this out as we leave here today. Our time is rapidly gone, uh, but let's look at how we can uh, flesh this out as we leave these four walls and uh, and we encounter uh, circumstances. How should we respond when we find ourselves drinking from the bitter wells of Mara? Consider taking... One of these steps this week. Listen. Listen earnestly to the voice of God. What is he trying to teach you in your present circumstances? What have you learned about God from these events? Change your perspective by seeing what God is doing on your behalf. That's point one, marching orders. And then two, obey. Look to see if there are areas of disobedience in your life. Repent and turn from any disobedient actions or attitudes. Turn to the one who desires to heal you. Obedience flows from an accurate understanding of God's character. That's what the Israelites were lacking. Encourage. Encourage someone you know who is drinking from bitter waters. Point them to Christ who offers healing. Oh, and abundance. And then finally, you may not feel like a work of art right now, but the Bible assures each and every one of us that we have been created in God's image. You want to move away from a place of bitterness? Turn to Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. If you know anybody who is going in that wrong direction, correct them on the right course. Any closing thoughts?
2: Okay, Jeremiah on page twenty-seven, Jeremiah 17, 14 says, "Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are my grace.
0: Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. that's a verse to keep in mind. Yeah. Right. And he answers that petition. Any other thoughts? Point out observations.
3: I think sometimes we we'll go going through something we're we'll try to reflect back about the goodness and what he's already done for us probably. Try to focus on that instead of focusing on the fact that oh he's not here for you right now but he's been for you so you got to wait and probably try to be patient and hold on and stand for him.
0: What does the want to say? You Count your many blessings name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. If the children of Israel had counted the blessings that God had provided on them before, then they wouldn't have gotten into all this grumbling and complaining.
2: Well, for, well, for me I recognize that we are called to a life of suffering. Mm. And once we get all of that, we are able by God's grace to come
1: to anything.
0: Yeah, once you so grasp that, there'll be no need to complain. That's right.